where we talk about all the Marvel movies and decide how good they are or how bad they are. I'm your host, Crystal, and with me is Luke. You had me at hey. Luke, yeah. I have one very important question for you. Okay, cool. What, what, what is it? What is your history and relationship with the film Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, the sequel to Guardians of the Galaxy? Um, so this came out, I was going to say last year, but I guess technically two years ago now. 2017. Uh, 2017. Um, I pretty much just said like, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm fully out on Marvel movies at this point. I remember, I remember the first Guardians being like, okay, but I'm good. I don't need another one. And, uh, did not think about it that much. I think at some point I watched a bunch of Lindsay Ellis videos on YouTube and watched a video she did on Guardians of the Galaxy 2, but I don't remember any of the details of it. You posted um, one tweet while watching this film, which is, yeah, the GOTG movies would be a lot better without Drax. Yeah, that is kind of a thought I had watching it for the first time today, is that you can kind of just cut Drax out of both of these movies and they both get a good bit better. So, since we recorded the first Guardians of the Galaxy episode, I've since learned that Thanos actually was originally the villain in Nicole Perlman's script of Guardians of the Galaxy. That makes sense. They were like, we're not going to actually make this movie, so you can do whatever you want. Sure. And so she had this whole plot with Thanos... And the Drax probably would have played a big role. Yeah, and like half the cast has a history with Thanos, who's not really in that movie. And then James Gunn came in and was like, "Actually, we need to make eighty percent of the about of this movie about this one guy from Earth." Yeah, uh, uh, that that makes so much more sense to me too. Like, have an early movie—not early, but earlier—that is like, here's Thanos as a bad guy that we really set the stakes for how dangerous he is. And like, yeah, the heroes are gonna win, but it's like a minor. Thing, and you can tell that, like, oh, when Thanos comes back, it is gonna be bad. Instead of just, like, I don't know, he's he's got a chair. Well, Nicole Perlman was not involved with this film. Uh, James Gunn right. is the sole credited writer. Yes. He has taken her universe and made his own story out of it. Yeah, sure, yes. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess we don't know if there's any, like, leftover ideas from Guardians of the Galaxy 1 that they incorporated into this one. But, you know, sure. I, my history with this film is I watched Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Didn't, didn't much care for it. You did not like that film. But I had made a blood pact to watch all of these movies, so I went to see Guardians 2. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised how much I liked it. Yeah, so I will say I agree with you that this is the better of the two Guardians movies. I'm not sure how much I like it, but I came away from it with, like, a positive impression, if not, like, a super positive one. You know, it's like, yeah, no, I, I, I liked that. 
I know that this movie has a bad reputation. Yeah. I have a guess about why, but I before I say it, I like what what do you have to say about that? I yeah, it, at the time the reputation of this film was like, ah, it's just more of the first one, but yeah. now it's a little bit staler and a little bit worse. Sure. And I was like, no, I think this is like a refined, better version of what the first one was going for. I would agree with and that. And I think the reason for that might just be that 2014 and 2017 are very different years. That makes some sense. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a take I have seen in places is that people do not like that this movie um, makes it has like a big emotional climax moment for like Peter and Yondu at the end where it like kind of redeems him when he was basically a physically abusive father and they just kind of sweep that under the rug and they reconcile before he dies. Yeah, I I had a lot of complaints about the one might say cloying sentimentality of Guardians 1. Yeah. But then I'm a hypocrite because I liked it in this. <laughs> well, I think we talked it about was. it. I don't think the problem last time was that it was cloying. It's that it was unearned. It was like that these people yeah. had known each other for half a day and they're already like family and will die for each other. Right. Uh, we'll get we'll get into detail about Yondu, but I'll say yeah. a lot of media these days is about sad dads. Yeah. And mad dads and shitty dads that feel bad about being shitty dads. Right. It's all about their journey. It's how am I going to be a better dad? Yeah. Including such films as Avengers Infinity War, which has right. dads feeling really bad as they enact terrible violence against their daughters. Right, but they really love them, you know? Yeah. I will say that this one threads the needle for me. I think this is a, a, a good, successful portrayal of a dad who is bad in a lot of ways, but also good in some ways. I think I mostly agree with you, but we'll we'll get into it more as, like, the relevant scenes come up. Probably mostly towards the end. I guess let's um, just get into it. I guess, I guess the other thing I wanted to say, too, is that, like, and again, we'll get into this as we go, but, like, a lot of these movies, I think, struggle to have, like, a good, strong, like, thematic through line. There's a good, you know, 10 to 15 hours of me complaining about that. Probably more. Um... This one kind of does, though. Like, there is a a core theme that everything loops back around to being about. Yeah. And it's shitty dads. I also think uh, just the soundtrack by itself is better in this movie, and it's also better weaved into the film in this movie. Um, uh, I think I mostly agree. I think some of the needle drops either feel a little on the nose or a little, like, too in your face. (laughs) But that's also kind of the thing. So gonna be me. I think this about the film is good, and you're like, (laughs) I agree, but not as much. Right? Exactly. Yes, that's gonna be this one. Uh (laughs) We begin on Missouri Earth, 1980. Yes. Brandy by Looking Glass is playing on the radio mm-hmm. as a man and a woman are driving through the Missouri countryside. Yeah, it's it's like a a man made to look like a young um I'm blanking on the actor's name, you know, a young guy. You know the guy. Kurt Russell, there we go. Kind of mildly creeps me out, but you know, I don't think it's like a bad job special effects wise, just something about it makes me like, "Uh, okay." Oh, I think this is the she- best the de-aging has ever been. Uh, you might be right. I don't know. Just something about it just kind of like, I don't know. It feels very conspicuous to me. Um, Yeah. But he, uh, the, the, the girl is singing along with the radio 
And this guy is just so jazzed about the fact that she can, like, sing along with the radio. And before I knew where this was going, I was like, uh, why are you this excited about this? But I actually think it works out all right. Uh, he takes her out back behind a Dairy Queen uh-huh. to show her the cool alien flower that he's planted in the woods because uh, he's a space alien. Yeah, he's explained that soon these flowers will bloom all across the universe and they'll be everywhere. Right. And then she says, I don't understand what that means. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, but gosh, you're cute. Which, like, don't think he said anything that hard to wrap your head around, especially if you've already bought into the idea that he's an alien. But, yeah, sure, whatever. And then they make out while the camera zooms into the flower and it's all, like, electrical inside and... It's Guardians of the Galaxy 2, 34 years can't later. I, can't believe I fell in love with the Spaceman. Can't believe I fell in love with Space. Yes, yeah, so it is 34 years after 1980, placing this film in 2014, a few months after the events of Guardians of the Galaxy. That makes sense. The Guardians of the Galaxy are on the planet Sovereign, which is like... Like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, like, nine planets all linked together. Are they linked together? I thought the idea, because they're gonna, they're here to fight, like, a dimensional monster. I thought the idea was that all the, like, planets in this solar system were aligning, and that was opening up a dimensional rift or something. Sure, maybe, something like that. They they don't explain it, it's just a cool image uh, as an establishing shot. Uh, they're in, on top of a cool, big sci-fi CGI mess. Uh, yeah, there's, there's good, there's good, I like the CGI sci-fi shit in this movie. It's alright for the most part. It's, it's a good um, looking film. Visually yeah, yeah. a fine film. <laughs> it's visually a fine film. <laughs> uh, they, they, got, they all got jetpacks now, but Drax well, isn't wearing one. He has, yeah, he has sensitive nipples. Yeah, he has sensitive nipples and then everyone laughs at him. Um, but yeah, th- the basic setup for this is that there's these huge pods on the like edges of this platform that are full of uh, magic space batteries, and some kind of dimensional monster is about to come through a rift and try to eat them, and the Guardians have been hired to uh, fend him off. But that wacky rocket raccoon is sitting there trying to hook up a stereo! And why is that? Because he wants to? <laughs> He, he tries to play it off as, oh, we'll blame, you know, Peter, because he's the one that likes music, and Peter's just like, what? No, this is dumb. Stop it. And Rocket Raccoon has a running joke where he's he does he's trying to understand how to wink sarcastically. Yeah. But he doesn't he's know like, how to do it right. And he, he, like, thinks that if you do it with the correct eye, then people won't notice or something? Right, he's it, using the wrong eye. Yeah, I don't... It, it, it's a running joke that only comes up, like, one more time, and I don't really understand it. Uh, you know? Yeah, eh, whatever. No, I think Rocket's just intentionally doing it. Sure. Um, he's, be- he's being an asshole. Sure, yes. So the big the big tentacle monster shows up, but right. that big fight kind of fades out, kind of goes out of focus in the background. Yeah. As we show Groot, who's now Baby Groot, the right, son of Groot. little baby. Does not have the memories of Groot. Yeah. And uh, he's, he he's, gets the, the stereo working, he plugs it in, and Mr. Blue Sky by the Electric Light Orchestra starts playing. And we get kind of our opening credits where it's just like the camera is focused on baby Groot dancing while this like huge space battle is happening kind of out of focus behind him. There's a freeze frame just as the song really kicks in. Yeah. Which is the basis for a popular internet meme. Oh, that makes sense. Sure, I can see that. Uh, there's kind of a running thing where all the other Guardians are, like, scared, because there's, like, a, a baby's day off element to this. Or baby's day out, whatever. 
Ferris baby's day off. talking. <laughs> or they're, like, trying to keep him safe from the monster, but he's fine, and they keep, like, you know, getting attacked and shit, because they're not paying attention. Um, and Groot I, doesn't like being watched by Drax. He always sits still when Drax looks at him. Yeah, they just do a callback to the, the ending thing from the first movie, because, you know, that was funny. Um... I, There's a little dimensional weasel that breaks his, his stereo, so Groot goes charging after that thing. Yeah. I'll say, I like this opening credits thing. It's cute. It's funny. I feel like it is emblematic of my biggest problem with this movie, which is that when they have a good joke, they just kind of linger on it too long, and it gets to the point where like, yeah, I, I got it. I, I did my laughs at this goof. We can, we can move on. Oh, you're still going to keep dancing, huh? Okay. I guess, you know, you do you. That's fine. I'll just, uh, I'll just wait for the next scene. I like it. Yeah. It's cute. No, it is cute. Like I said, it just kind of starts to wear out its welcome for me. Uh, so eventually yeah. Drax decides the only way to really kill this monster is to jump inside its mouth and cut it up from the inside. Yeah, and like Gamora and Peter kind of quip about how like, what, that's a stupid idea. The skin is going to be just as tough from the inside. It's it's skin. Um, But uh, yeah, eventually Peter notices that it has a cut on its neck. And uh, they distract it to look straight up so that Gamora can shoot it in the hole in its neck. But her gun's out of ammo, so she takes out her sword. I don't understand Peter's uh, complaint with Drax. Uh, Because, yes, skin is the same level of thickness from both sides. (laughs) Yeah, no. But the point of skin is is to protect the internal organs from the elements. No, you're totally right. It... Like, Drax's idea is dumb, but not for the reasons they're saying it is. <laughs> so they 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 shoot it. They shoot it dead. Well, yeah, Gamora, like, cuts its whole belly open. Because there was a whole thing where, like, yeah, oh, she's, Dra- she's got a gun, not a sword. Oh, but 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 I'm Peter, and guns are my thing. Oh, I guess we're both going to have guns now. But then she takes out her sword and cuts it up. And Drax uh, crawls his way out of its belly, covered yeah. in belly goop. Yep. He's like, haha, I have single-handedly defeated the monster, which I thought was a funny joke, but I know you hate Drax the Destroyer. <laughs> I didn't hate that joke. I don't love it either, though. Drax just slowly wears on me more and more as this movie goes. <laughs> like a little they, of it yeah, goes a really long way, like a, and they keep using more. Yeah, that'd be great if he had, like, a story. Instead of just being a misogynist to whatever woman character. We complained in the first movie how uh, even though Drax and Gamora have the most connection to the story, it focuses almost entirely on Peter. And in this one, the story actually is about Peter, but they didn't really give anything to Drax or Groot. They gave a little to Rocket and Gamora. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, with the way they've set up Groot, they really don't have anything to do other than just to have him be a cute, funny joke sometimes. I'm like, here's, I, I here's another funny joke from Drax. Yeah, what's that? Peter Quill's like, ha, now we can get the we can get the Anulax batteries. Right. He's like, ah, yes, the Harbulary batteries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I like how much you like that joke more than I like the joke. <laughs> Dave Bautista's good delivery. Sure, yeah. So they were hired by the Sovereign to protect the Anulax batteries from the dimensional tentacle monster. Right. So now they're going to go get paid. And, and Peter's the, like, listen. The people on Sovereign folks- are like these ridiculous, golden, beautiful people that like just artificially like clone themselves instead of reproducing naturally. 
And yeah, he warns them that like, listen, these guys are very, you know, sensitive to insults and like the the punishment for being insolent is is execution. So, you know, just don't do anything stupid. Uh, but then oh, the, how do you know that they, that's the way they reproduce, Luke? Well, see, because they have a conversation about it with the high priestess, uh, who is the, you know, kind of authority <laughs> figure of this planet, I guess. And, uh, she <laughs> thank ex- you for doing this job. Let me explain <laughs> you how my species reproduces. <laughs> well, no, she's explaining, you know, thank you for risking your lives. Um, no one of our species could do it because their lives are too important because every single person is genetically engineered to fill the role that they fill in life. And then Quill is just like, yeah, well, I just prefer making people the old-fashioned way. And then the high priestess is into him and is like, oh, you'll have to show me how that works sometimes. And they both just kind of wink and and nudge their elbows at each other forever. Oh. And uh, until Gamora gets sick of it. The Guardians are paid for their job with the wanted criminal Nebula. And Gamora's like, even though she's my sister, I don't care about her. I just want the bounty for her head on Xandar. Yeah, I will say there's kind of a funny joke in this scene where the High Priestess is, like, sitting in the throne with a crown. And then at one point she leans forward and it turns out the crown is just part of the throne. That's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, But yeah. How do you feel about the Sovereign? Uh, I kind of like them. I kind of feel like they didn't need to be in as much of the movie as they were, but, you know, I, I like them for the most part. This movie's interesting because it, a lot of these movies feel like, like they're, like, event storylines, if you know what I uh-huh. mean. Whereas this uh, almost just feels, hmm? The, the, how do you mean? Well, and, like, they're, they're, like, one big epic story that completely changes the, the status quo of these characters going forward. Uh huh. Yeah, I guess so. Whereas this almost feels just like a good six issue arc from an ongoing comic. Yeah. Okay. No, I see what you're saying. Yes, I, I agree. Whereas, like, you know, the sovereign don't play a huge role in this story, but you could see, like, oh, th- this is setting up for the next six issue arc. Right. I think the only time I like the sovereign in this, and I agree with you, it's cool that's sort of setting up to that. By the time they're showing up in the climax, I'm like, you don't really need to be here. And then they just kind of, like, all get blown up. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they didn't need to be here. Okay. Um, but, uh, <laughs> so as, yeah. as Peter's leaving, the high priestess Aisha's like, hey, I can see your genes and there's some fucked up stuff going on in there. Oh, right. Yeah, she can see something strange and inhuman in his, his heritage. An unorthodox genealogy. Yeah. And he's just like, whatever. I'm leaving. I don't know who my dad is. I know he ain't from Missouri. Right. (laughs) Uh, We also see that Rocket has stolen a big bag of batteries because it turns out they're valuable. Yeah, he says, you know, they told me you people were conceited douchebags, but that isn't true at all. Wink. Yeah. Oh, I'm using my wrong eye. (laughs) Right. Soraka has stole the Harvulax batteries. Yes, he and they're, sure did. And they're just going to fly off to their next mission. Everything's fine. Nothing bad's going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they're on the ship afterwards. Uh, Peter is trying to apologize to Gamora for being flirty with the High Priestess. And she's like, whatever, I don't even like you. I don't care. Right, they're not, like, dating. Right. Uh, they've got Nebula, like, handcuffed to just a pole or something. She really wants these, like, roots that they've got just in a box. And they're like, no, they're not ripe yet. You can't have one. She's like, but I'm hungry. They're they're like, no, can't. Uh, Uh, Drax Drax tries to have a conversation with Peter, like, listen, 
Gamora is not the one for you, Quill. There are two types yeah. of beings in this universe. Those who dance and those who do not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he starts describing how he met his wife. Right. Because yeah. they... uh, it was at a war rally. Right. Everyone in the village flailed about except for one woman, my Ovet. The most melodic yeah. song in the world could be playing, but she wouldn't even tap her foot, wouldn't move a muscle. She looked like she was dead. Yeah. And it that would make made my it... nether regions engorge. Yes, that. Uh, I'll say, <laughs> I will be, I'll take the generous interpretation here and say, Drax has come, has like learned a lot and come a long way since the first movie, because he doesn't really do the take things literally thing anymore. No, they don't do that at all anymore. That's just no, gone. He literally just uses a metaphor in this conversation, just out of the blue. Yeah. He's like, yeah, there are those who dance and those who don't. And you're a dancer, Quill. When he, that's not a metaphor. He's speaking figuratively in a way that, like, in the first movie, he would have been like, what do you mean? Quill isn't a dancer. He's a thief. Okay, Luke, but the example he gives is of his wife who literally refused to dance when music was playing. No, I understand that. But what I'm saying is that it's not <laughs> like he thinks that Gamora is someone that refuses to dance. Like, he doesn't... He doesn't literally think there are people that like to move to music and people who don't. He's saying there's two types of people in the world and using a literal example to drive his metaphor home. No, he. I think that is exactly what he thinks, because you remember in the first movie, Gamora didn't want to dance. Mm. I guess, you know what? We'll just have to agree <laughs> to disagree. So Drax's final advice was like, you just need to find a woman who is pathetic, like you. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, then it turns out that the golden people are not super happy about having their batteries stole, and they've sent a whole army of, like, drone fighters out to, uh, kill them and take the batteries back. Rocket's excuse is that they were really easy to steal. Yes. And they're like, what? Why? No, that's bad. Uh, they get in a big space battle with all these ships. Rocket's excited to kill people, and Gamora points out, like, no, these are, these are drones. And we get a cut back to um, Sovereign, where they're basically all in a giant sci-fi arcade, piloting all these drones. There's, like, literal, like, video game noises happening. It's kind of a funny joke. I like this conceit. Yeah. And the the the, the admiral's, the high priestess talks to the admiral, who's like, why, aren't, why don't you just blow them up? And he's like, well, we're trying to, like, kind of shoot around the batteries, because they're highly explosive. And not only will we then lose the batteries, but also probably a lot of these drone ships. Right, and she points out, like, no, this isn't about the batteries, this is about, like, you know, they've insulted us, and they can't be allowed to live because of that, so you have to, like, just kill them, and if we lose all these ships in the process, who cares? So they, they get to work trying to actually shoot down the Guardians. Um, they are losing this fight, because they're vastly outnumbered, and uh, figure out that there is a habitable planet located, that there's, like, a jump to it nearby, but you have to go through a quantum asteroid field to get there. Which is just a Drax field says, of asteroids. To make it through, you have to be the greatest pilot in the universe. Yeah, and then Quill and uh, Rocket both say, "I am" at the same time, but Rocket kind of cuts Quill off as he takes over the ship. I like the I like the quantum asteroid field. It's a cool idea because it's just a bunch of like these glowy rocks that are popping in and out of existence. It's cool. Yeah, there's good space stuff here. It's it's a fun conceit for like a uh, kind of off kilter sci fi battle. I like the way they do space jumps. Yeah, yeah. They're literally like warp zones in a video game or something, where there's just like a right. hole in the sky that when you go through it, you come out at a different place. So because Rocket and Quill are like fighting each other for control of the ship, they're not doing the piloting very good. Yeah. And like the whole back of the ship gets blown off and uh, Nebula almost flies out into space. Right, yes. 
Um, they've lost all the guns. They're not doing well. Nebula's like reaching for one of those roots again, and Drax like kicks it out of her hand. Like they're not ripe. Uh, and then at some point he decides to put a spacesuit on and jump out the back of the ship with a gun and just shoot. Right, them he's that like way. he's like covered in holographic bubble wrap. Yeah, he like you put a little plastic thing on their like back or whatever, and yeah, it wraps them up in like hologram force field bubble wrap that makes. And them- all the other uh, sovereign are huddled around this one guy Zayek, and they're like cheering him on. Right, because he's the only one left. So it's it's like when someone's got a high score going at the arcade, and everyone's crowded around cheering for him. Uh. And, uh, and so Drax jumps off the ship and just shoots shoots him with his gun. Right, and yeah, his ship blows up, and everyone's like, "Oh man, you suck!" But Typical. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I do like how quick they turn on him. Yeah, uh, but it but, turns out all the other sovereign drones just went around the field. Yeah, <laughs> they're waiting for them on the other side. So it looks like it's hopeless. The guardians are gonna die. Right, but, but then look. all the ships just blow up for no reason. That's yeah, weird. there's like a big energy beam out of nowhere, and all of them all blow up at once. Yeah, um, but uh, as they're like making the last like sprint towards the gate, Rocket sees this weird white spaceship and a guy like standing on top of it, waving to them. Yeah, a little man on top of the ship. There's just a little man outside. Yeah, and the gate <laughs> he describes is just a warp zone in a video game. Where yeah. It's like as they approach this area of space. There's, like, a virtual hexagonal wall, and one of the hexagons shows a different part of space. Right. Yeah, and they end up just kind of right in, like, the upper atmosphere of this planet called, like, Bearheart or something. While Drax is still outside of the ship, barely attached by a rope, hitting every tree on the way down. Yeah, they're making, like, just a crash landing through this densely forested area, and just kind of, yeah, smash into the dirt. Everyone's just kind of beat to hell from it. Gamora is, like, hanging out of the ship, holding on to Drax. And just as they arrive, uh, the camera takes a few seconds to linger on the destroyed Marauder, Milano, and says, Burhurt. Yeah. And here's the end of issue one. Right, 100%. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's kind of just a pleasant forest planet. Which would be nice, if not for the fact that their ship is totally ruined. Gamora's and, mad uh, at everyone, rightfully, because there's no reason that should have happened. Right, everyone's mad at Peter for fucking up, but Peter's like, no, wait, what, no, we should be mad at Rocket, because he's the reason this happened in the first place. Right, Gamora says, either one of you could have gotten us through that field if you'd flown with what's between your ears instead of what's between your legs. And Peter's yeah. comeback is, if what's between my legs had a hand on it, I guarantee I could have landed the ship with it. Yeah, it's cool, cool dialogue. It's <laughs> just, man, I, I would like both of these movies so much better if just someone had gone in and just punched up some of the dialogue. Like, uh, just, it's it's better this time, but there's still just a chunk of the jokes that are just like, well, that's dumb and lazy. Come on, do better. They're good jokes. Well, there's some bad jokes later, but for now, they're good jokes. <laughs> Peter's like, no, it's Rocket's fault because he stole the Anulax batteries. And Drax is like, they're called Harpular batteries. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. I'll give you that one. Uh, and Rocket is trying to explain how he saw a little one-inch man outside in space that saved all of them. And they're like, wait, a one-inch man? is like, well, he was far away. If he was closer, maybe he would have been bigger. That's how eyesight works, you stupid raccoon. Right, and then he gets mad that he's called a raccoon, so Peter calls him a trash panda instead. And he's like, well, is that better? Oh, yeah. They do a whole, whole little... It's yeah. worse. It's so much worse. <laughs> yeah, but uh, 
they're stranded, but luckily the ship that saved them is landing. It's like this big weird egg thing with a bunch of glowy gold lights coming out of it. And, and out Kurt of the Russell's egg steps inside. Kurt Russell. Yeah. Kurt Russell's inside. And He's got a friend with him. How do you feel about Mantis? Hmm. I hmm. I think I kinda like Mantis. I think this movie kinda hates her. Yeah. I think uh Palm Climentief does a very good job playing Mantis. Yeah, it just kind of seems like this movie wants to make her the butt of a lot of jokes. Yeah, Mantis's main role in this film is Drax to make fun of how ugly she is. Yep, mm-hmm, that's true. Hmm, yeah, that's not, it's not good. Yeah, uh, and then is this, uh, does this guy say, like, who he is and, like, who he is at this point? Well, he says, that, that after all these years, I found you. Right. My name is Ego, and I'm your dad, Peter. Yeah, yeah. So, Peter's dad's here, but enough about that. Let's go to Planet Contraxia. Where Howard the Duck is saying, you know what they say, you're out of luck till you gone duck. <laughs> yeah, Howard the Duck is just, yeah, hanging out. This is uh, the Winter Strip Club planet? Yeah. Everyone's just drunk and there's strippers everywhere. Everyone just kind of looks bored to be here, honestly. Yeah, Yondu is Yondu's doing the thing they do in every like noir or cyberpunk movie. Yeah, where he's just he's just had sex with a robot sex worker. He's slowly putting on his pants, mournfully looking out the window. Right. Yes. <laughs> and he's just kind of yeah bumming out. Uh, and one of his like crewmen's like, "Hey, come on down, Yondu." So he does, and uh, who could be here but Rocky himself, Sylvester Stallone? Playing Stakar. Stakar. So is Stakar like a guy from the comics? Like a, a big Stikar deal guy? Stakar and his other friends at the end of the movie were part of the original Guardians of the Galaxy of the 31st century. Okay. Okay. I see. Uh, that makes sense. Because I, I was trying to figure out if this was like a fun Sylvester Stallone cameo that's just that. Or if it was, this is a character that if you're a big comic book fan... It's, like, a big deal they're in this movie, and they're putting a big deal actor in it to, like, make it pop more. More of the second thing. Okay, okay. He doesn't really do much in this movie. What's that? He doesn't do much in this movie. No, he just shows up to yell at Yondu and tell him that he sucks. Uh, all of the Ravagers leave the bar. Uh, Stakar tells, like, the owner that, like, there's 100 Ravager factions, and they just lost the business of 99 of them for serving Yondu's. And uh, Yondu is, like, mad, and he runs out to yell at him, and Stakar basically, we, we find out that Yondu broke the Ravager code by dealing in human trafficking and child, like, slavery, basically? Yeah, he, he trafficked in children. Yes, that's, that's right. They establish a lot about the Ravagers in this scene. Yeah. Because uh -huh. in the first movie, they're just kind of like a gang. Right, and now they're like a giant armada cult? And they have, like, a religion? Yeah, because he tells Sakaar's like, Yondu you'll that, never like, hear the horns of freedom when you die. The colors of Ogord will never flash over your grave. Right. And yeah, Sylvester Stallone just tells him that he takes no pleasure in exiling him from the Ravagers. But, you know, you trafficked in children, which is a real fucked up thing to do, buddy. So, I don't know what to tell you. And then the other Ravagers are like, ah, Yondu, I think he's going soft. Yeah, we're starting to get the the hints that maybe there is unrest in Yondu's ranks. Because he first Quill betrays betrayed them in the first movie, and Yondu right. just let that slide. Yeah, and now he's he just lets Stakar walk all over him too. 
Yeah, yeah. Maybe someone else should be in charge. And Craglin, played by... Yeah? Played by... Hold on. <laughs> Sean Gunn, brother of James Gunn. Okay, I love okay. Craglin. Craglin's good. Yeah, he, I got no complaints about Craglin. Do you think that when people like want to say hi to him and they like, want to be fun and familiar, they're like, Hey, buddy, what's Craglin? So then uh, Aisha shows up <laughs> on the planet. What? Yeah, Aisha shows up. There's a funny bit where like she's got like retainers that are unfurling a carpet for her to walk on, and it gets like stuck, and everyone just kind of stuck waiting there while the retainers like unstick the spool and finish rolling out the carpet the last like foot and a half. Uh, and yeah, she basically wants to hire Yondu to track down the Guardians of the Galaxy and bring them back to her so she can execute them. So back at the the forest planet, Ego. The living planet uh-huh. is explaining Peter what, what the deal is with them. He says he hired Yondu to pick Peter up when Meredith passed away. Yeah. But instead of returning Peter to Ego, Yondu kept him. He has no idea why. Yeah. And uh, Peter says, well, I can tell you why. It's because I was a skinny kid that could fit into tight spaces, which is helpful for, you know, stealing things. Made it easier for thieving. Right. And Drax is like, wait, I'm confused. I thought Yondu was your father. Yeah, and Peter's like, what? No, we look nothing alike. And Drax just kind of looks at him like, what do you mean? Of course you do. Peter Quill uh, reestablishes to the audience that Yondu was the guy who abducted him, kicked the crap out of him so he could learn to fight, and kept him in terror by threatening to eat him. Yeah, and Kurt Russell, Ego, is just completely gulled by all this. Um, He wants to have Peter come back with him to his planet so that he can show him, like, the life that he should have and, like, you know, be the father that he never could be. And as soon as he talks about how he wants to take him back to his planet, I started to get real bummed out because I was like, man, I get that you try to kind of slightly ground the wackier stuff in the comics, but if you're going to do Ego the Living Planet and not show me a big dumb planet with a big dumb face, I'm going to be really bummed out. And, you know, well, I'll just I'll just leave that opinion on the table for now. We'll circle back to it later. Ego says, you know, even though I live kind of on the edge of the known universe, he's heard tell of the man called Star-Lord because of him touching the Infinity Stone. Right, yeah. And that's why he's only just finding him now. Yes. Yeah, he says he's so been looking gonna for him. We're going to go back to the planet and all your associates are welcome. Even that triangle-faced monkey. Right. And Rocket, like, starts to have a retort, but then just starts feeling his face like, oh, man, is it a triangle? Uh, Peter is feeling a little, like, hmm, I don't know, and Ego goes off to piss. So Peter uh, and Mantis and Drax have a little interaction. Mm-hmm. She's, she just smiles and is like, hi, I'm, I'm Mantis. Right, yeah. And Drax's like, your smile's really bad. Yeah, do, do it better, please. And Mance is like, oh, I'm sorry. I was raised alone on Ego's planet. I don't know how to do social interaction. Drax is like, yeah, cl- clearly. You, you suck. Oh. So then Peter and Gamora ha- have a conversation in the woods. And Peter's like, I don't trust this guy. After all yeah. this time, he just shows up and wants to be my dad. It and be uh, a trap, you know. Right. And Gamora is like, okay, granted, but... And she, like, explains that Peter has told her this story from his childhood about how he always carried around a photo of David Hasselhoff to tell people that that was who his dad was, uh, because he felt lonely and dadless. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of, like, the same stuff in the first movie, where it's, oh, she doesn't understand the pop culture references. A lot of of those kind of jokes pepper around. But basically, yeah, Peter is 
sad because he never had a father. He was jealous of all the kids that got to play catch with their dads, and he never did. And Gorge is like, well, yeah, so why don't we go with Ego and, you know, see see how it goes. And if he is evil, we'll just murder him. This man could be your Zardu Hasselfrau. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, so they, they decide to go. Rocket is staying behind with Baby Groot and Nebula to repair the ship. Um, and, like, Peter tries to patch things up with Rocket as they're leaving, but Rocket just keeps piling on insults. Peter's just like, all right, you know what? Ugh, with you. What is and your goal leave. here? To get everybody to hate you? Because it's working. Yeah. And then they all walk away in slow motion while a pop song plays, and I don't know why this scene is in slow-mo. Well, it's the end of issue two. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> it's like not like a, it's just like an act break. It's nothing like cool or significance happening. They're just walking on a path. Well, the Guardians are splitting up. They're breaking the chain. Sure, I guess. Like um, the song that's playing, Fleetwood Max, you would never break the chain. Right. Uh, but yeah, so Drax, Gamora, and Peter are hanging out on Ego's ship, which is just like a cool like, 70s sci-fi egg inside, and we see that, like, Mantis is, like, doing something to put Ego to sleep, and they start talking with Mantis because Drax and Peter have made a bet about what her antenna do. Uh, Drax has bet that they are for helping her to not get decapitated by short doors? And Peter's bet is that if it's anything other than specifically not being decapitated by a doorway, then he wins. Right. She's like, well, well, that's, I mean, no, it's not for that. Uh, she basically ex- explains that she has, like, magical empath powers, where if she touches somebody, she feels the same emotions that they're feeling. And, and she can uh, also make other people feel emotions, like sleepiness. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. That was my favorite character in Inside Out, was sleepiness. Um, but yeah, she kind of demonstrates her powers by touching Peter and, uh finding out that, oh, he feels love, and not just a general unselfish love for everybody, but romantic sexual love for Gamora. And then Drax... And Drax loses it and laughs very loud. Drax like, laughs very loud. <laughs> she just revealed your deepest, darkest secret. Yeah, just 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 laughs and laughs and laughs, and then makes uh, Mantis touch him so that she also laughs at him. And this is this is another example of like, okay, this joke is kind of funny, and then they do it for way too long, and I'm sick of it by the end of the joke. I love it; it's good. Ah, uh, man, you cut this the time this joke takes in half, and I would be there with you. Yeah, but then it would be half as funny. <laughs> I mean, Mantis tries to touch Gamora, get her in on the fun, but Gamora like just grabs her wrist and tells her like, "Hey, if if, if you touch me, I'm gonna break your hand." Um, but yeah, so yeah, she also explains the part where, yeah, she can sort of infuse emotions in people, mostly sleepiness. Uh, and then we cut back to the, like, forest planet, Bearheart, where all of the Mantis Ravagers mentions are. briefly that, uh, the reason she helps Ego sleep, as night, sleep at night is because he has trouble sleeping. Because he lies yes. awake thinking about his progeny. Oh, right, yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, and it just, it just keeps him up, and the, Peter's like, oh man, maybe my dad does love me, if it stresses him out that bad that I, he didn't know where I was. Um, but yeah, the Ravagers are closing in on the ruins of the ship, and we can hear that Rocket is, like, listening to one of Pete's mixtapes, and, uh, the Ravagers end up triggering a bunch of traps that Rocket has set for them, they all just get murdered to death. Yeah, it's a big Looney Tunes sequence of them, like, yeah. flying into the air and Rocket jumping through the trees and triggering more traps. 
Right. Well, like Baby Groot and Nebula are just kind of listening in on what's going on on a walkie-talkie from the ship. Um, but yeah, Rocket's just kind of doing a bunch of, yeah, fun Looney Tunes shit to uh, murder a bunch of people. Except no one seems to die from any of it. Uh, no, they're fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you know, it's fine. <laughs> they're aliens. But eventually Rocket gets cornered by Yondu's psychic arrow. Yeah. Now, okay. It, mm-hmm. What's, like, what's the deal with the arrow in the comics? Can I ask that? Is it just kind of a cool weapon that he has? What do you mean? It was in the first movie, but even more in this one, they really treat that arrow like it is the single coolest weapon that has ever existed. Like, Rocket is is. dodging dozens of people with machine guns, no problem, and then that arrow shows up and he's like, well, I lose. Well, it's right next to his face. I guess, but then, like, later on, we're gonna just see him mow down, like, hundreds of people. Like, that arrow is just, I don't know, they treat it like it is something... As opposed to just being, like, a cooler thing than him just having, like, a revolver or something. They really treat that arrow like it's, like, it's special. It is special. I don't know. It's a cool arrow. I'm not disputing it's a cool arrow. They just, I don't know. Something about how they use it seems like it's supposed to be, like, just, I don't know. This is a weird complaint. It's not that big a deal. Like, imagine if you used the Nikita rocket launcher in Metal Gear Solid. Right. But instead of blowing up when it hit something, it just kept going. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a good weapon. I'm not disputing that. Um, But anyway, yeah, he gets cornered by the arrow, and Nebula can hear that he's cornered and uh, is trying to convince Baby Groot to free her so that she can go save Rocket. Um, But while he's getting surrounded by a crowd of Ravagers, Yondu says that he is going to not actually deliver them back to Sovereign. Uh, They're going to sell Rocket's stolen batteries and make, yeah, about a quarter of the profit they would have by turning them in. And uh, then they've got them prisoner. And then that's when all the Ravagers start getting mad. One of them says, like, a quarter is only, like, a third as much of what we were going to get. That's a fun goof. And Craglin, who who defended uh, the captain before, is like, this ain't right, captain. No matter how many times Quill betrays you, you protect him like none of the rest of us much matter. Yeah. And uh, some of the Ravagers are starting to want to mutiny. Some of them aren't. They're all starting to draw their guns on each other. It's all it's all going bad. And Yondu is about to take control with that arrow. And then suddenly the weird like metal bit in the middle of his head blows up because Nebula shot him. Yeah, Yondu falls to the ground and Nebula delivers a cool line. Well, hello, boys. And takes a bite of of the fruit she was trying, the Yondu, the, the what's it called? The root. Oh, the yeah, root the thing root. She was trying to get before, and she spits it out because it's not right. I kind of assumed she didn't actually want to eat it, and the payoff to that was going to be she gets her hands on it and does something clever with it to escape. But yeah, sure, whatever. No, she was just hungry. She just was hungry. She was a prisoner. She probably yeah. wasn't fed very well. Yeah. And all those cyborg parts need lots of calories. Sure. So the other group arrives at Ego's planet, and it's kind of this Willy Wonka wonderland. There's all kinds of magic Technicolor bubbles flying everywhere. And everyone's just like, whoa, wowzers. Um, Ego explains that he is a celestial He's a god. You know, lowercase g, though. Ego, Ego's like, yeah, it's a planet, but come on, still larger than the Earth's moon. And Drac is like, humility. I like it. I, too, am extraordinarily humble. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he takes him through, like, this fucking Disney Hall of Presidents Pirates of the Caribbean, like, <laughs> exhibit where he has just a bunch of, like, 
animatronic dioramas showing, like, his origin story. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, no, it is, it is. Uh, he's just he like, explains that in the beginning, uh, he was a brain. Yeah, he was just a brain space. floating in space. And uh, <laughs> slowly he started to try to figure out what he could do, and he could make, like, a shell around himself. And then he made a shell Over around millions the shell. of years. What's that? Over millions of years, he learned this while yeah, yeah. while being struck by incredible loneliness. Right. So he slowly built a whole planet around his brain, and uh, but he was still so lonely. He wanted to see other life out in the world, and uh, so he created a human form to be like his avatar, and uh, ended up going to you know out into space to find other life like him, so he wouldn't be lonely anymore. And he yes, did. He, he, he created what he imagined biological life to be like. Right, which turned out to, to be exactly minor. like a human. <laughs> he got it in one. And, and Drax's immediate question is, did you make a penis? Yeah, and he does explain, yes, I did, and yes, it was big. And Drax is like, you know, in my culture, my father tells will tell the story of impregnating my mother every winter solstice. Right, and everyone's grossed out, and Drax is just like, no, that's a beautiful story. You people have hang-ups. You know, sex-positive icon Drax. So Ego continues explaining he he also got pain receptors in a digestive system and everything else because he wanted to experience what it was like to be human. And right. eventually, he and found other life. Yes, and then shortly after that, he found Peter's mother and fell in love with her and, you know, had a baby with her. And that's Peter! Uh, meanwhile, all of the people still loyal to Yondu are getting tortured and murdered. They're, like, thrown out of airlocks and killed while Yondu has to sit and watch. I like that they pair up, uh, Yondu and Rocket. I like their interactions. Yeah, I I think that's one of the stronger parts of this movie, is the Yondu-Rocket stuff. Yeah, because they're both tied up watching this mutiny happen, uh... And eventually the, the guy kind of leading the mutiny gets down to business to murder Yondu, because there's a new name that'll be the guy in charge of the Ravagers, and it's Taserface. And uh, Rocket thinks that's a silly name and laughs at him, and eventually gets the entire crowd to start laughing at him and his dumb name. So he's going to kill Rocket. And then Nebula shows up like, hey, don't kill either of them. They've got bounties on their heads. Don't be stupid. So Kang's like, okay, very well. We'll give you the 10% of what we get. Here's the ship so you can uh, go wherever you need to go. Uh, what are you going to do with your share, by the way? Yeah. And I think this is kind of the first time we've... I mean, we knew Nebula's basic deal, but she gets into detail in it here, which is that, like, every day Thanos made her and Gamora fight each other, and every time she lost, and Thanos would replace a part of her with a machine part to try and make her as good as her sister. And she still lost every time and had more and more parts of her replaced. And boy... That's bad. Don't like it. So she's going to go to Ego's planet and murder her sister and then yeah. buy a warship with all of the guns and then hunt down Thanos and tear him apart slowly, piece by piece. Yeah, and Kraglin just like, oh, well, that's uh, okay. Well, have have fun. This one didn't hit for me. Yeah. Yeah. But I like that they're, they're, they're doing something with Nebula. She has a little subplot. Yeah, I, I like Nebula's stuff in this movie. Um, but, uh... So back to the, the Hall of Presidents. Right, back in the Hall of Presidents. <laughs> Peter's like, you know, my mother told everyone my father was from the stars. She had brain cancer, so everyone thought she was delusional. Yeah, he's got, like, a Peter's giant like, statue over out in a garden, and, uh... I love to believe all this, but you left my mom to die alone. Right. 
And he explains he didn't want to leave, but he has to regularly return to his planet and the light within it to maintain his human form. Yeah, which I guess the, the impression I got is that he was gone, lo- like, that's why he looks old now, is that, you know, he, that's how long it took him to get back to the planet, and he was aging while he was gone. Hmm. Yeah, why not? Um, And he explains to Peter that he is, like, also, uh, is this where he tells him he's immortal, or is that later? Uh, it's, it's, it's here, yeah. Yeah. He explains he couldn't set, he couldn't stand to set foot on an Earth where she wasn't living. That's why he sent right. Yondu instead of going himself. Yeah, yeah. And he explains that the light within him is also the light within you. And he teaches him how to make uh, a key ball. Yeah, he, he teaches him how to channel the energy of the planet and, yeah, get a little energy orb going. And uh, they play catch, just like Peter always wanted. Chris, can I ask you a question? Uh huh. Do you have like fond memories of playing catch with your dad? No. Why is that like the one shorthand for like fatherly bonding that exists in pop culture? I don't know, man. <laughs> it's like it's super easy. cliche at this point. And like the idea that he's forgiving him because he's finally getting that one game of catch he always wanted. Yeah, it's, it's the one game of catch he always wanted. Right. And now, like, he was yelling at him for abandoning him a minute ago. But it's okay, because they played catch. He never played catch with his papa before. <laughs> what, was, what was he going to do? Play catch with his grandpapa? <laughs> his uncles? That's yeah. He was alone, Luke. He had no family. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's silly. But yeah, they play catch, and now they're best friends. Um, we cut to Mantis and Drax hanging out together, and Mantis explains that she is the last of her kind, and Ego took her in when she was a larva, and has just taken care of her ever since. And Drax- Wait, did she say she's the last of her kind? Did she? I, th- I thought she did. Maybe I made that part She just said she was orphaned. Oh, uh, I guess so. Yeah. I, maybe I was backfilling, because I, I kind of figured Ego was going to turn out to be evil, and I just kind of assumed that he wiped out her planet, but I guess that's not actually said. That's just my fan that's fiction. That's what Thanos does. Oh, okay, sure. Um, But yeah, so Ego has just kept her on his planet ever since, and Drax is like, oh, so you're a pet. And she's like, I I, I guess, sure. Uh, And then he calls her ugly. Says, people usually want cute pets. Why would Ego want such a hideous one? Right. He's like, I'm I'm hideous? Yeah. He says, you're horrifying to look at. But that's a good thing. Because when yeah. you're ugly and someone loves you, you know they love you for who you are. Beautiful people never know who to trust. This is the one time that I kind of like Drax in this movie. Like, if this was... Ah, here's the thing now. After this scene, he is going to call her ugly like 80 more times. And there's not going to be like a nice bit of like character bonding underpinning it it's just gonna be him being an asshole and i yeah, don't like, like if, it if this was the climax of that joke uh-huh. i think i'd be fine i don't know if i'd be fine i'd definitely be better but yeah the fact yeah. that he's gonna like their next interaction is gonna be him throwing up in his mouth because he thinks about having sex with her and it's just like eh, guys this is not better than constantly calling Gamora a whore. No, it's not better at all. <laughs> you're, you're just doing the, oh, isn't it funny that he's a misogynist thing again? And the answer so is Drax, still no. But Luke, the other thing you have to take into account, the Drax, he's a sad dad. Oh, okay. Because he's looking out to the pools and he's like, this reminds me of when I would take my daughter to the lake. And then Mantis touches him to use her empathic powers and she starts crying. Yeah. And yeah, they just have a moment together and... 
Uh, yeah, she's, Strag's like, she was like you, innocence. Yeah. And Mantis is about to tell Drax something important, but then Gamora shows up and she decides not to say it. Which, <laughs> Gamora shows up like, what's going on? Drax says, this gross bug lady is my new friend. Yeah. Mantis says, I'm learning many things, like I'm a pet and I'm ugly. Right. And Gamora's just like, no, you're not. Anyway, what were you about to say, Mantis? Sorry for cutting you off. And she's like, oh, n- n- nothing. Which, how how's come she decided not to tell them, Crystal? Well, I think she trusts Drax, but doesn't trust Gamora, because Gamora hasn't insulted her enough. Okay, but, like, given what she has to say, like, what does she not trust Gamora to do? You know what I mean? Like, what what is, like, she wants to warn them. Why does it matter if she's like, trusts them? Uh it just se- it just kind of seems like they want to string you along with the mystery of what her secret is for a little while. And like when you think about it there's kind of no reason for that other than the movie would be screwed up if we told you what the deal was this early. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, they Maybe she just had second thoughts about betraying her master. Sure. Uh but so we cut back to the Ravager ship. They're, they've got Yondu and Rocket in a prison cell, and they're talking about whether or not they're going to kill Groot, and Taserface is just like, no, he's too cute to kill, don't kill him. Look at that adorable little guy, take him to the tailor. Uh, Yondu I is feeling that. very sorry for himself, because he's like, yeah, I did, I did kidnap a lot of children. Did do that. He's, they're not wrong. Yeah, he starts telling his backstories like, he was he was a Cree battle slave for twenty years before Stakar freed him and offered him a place with the Ravagers. And all he needed to do was adhere to the code. But he was young, and greedy, and stupid, much like Rocket when he stole those batteries. Right. And he and Stakar and the other captains were kinda like like Rocket and his friends, the guardians of the galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Rocket asks him why he didn't just deliver Peter if he was in the business of kidnapping and delivering children. And Yondu just repeats the same thing Peter said. that Oh, he he was small and useful, so that's why. And no other reason. They have an idea how to get out, but they're gonna need Groot's help. But unfortunately, Groot is having a hard time right now, because they put him in a tiny little Ravager costume, and everyone's pointing and laughing at him. (laughs) So sad. It's sad, yeah, but it's like this weird, like children's nightmare in the middle of this movie where just the camera is spinning around and there's this really like extreme fisheye effect as like Groot is trying to get the suit off and everyone's just chanting mascot mascot and like pouring beer on him it's a weird moment (laughs) this is like this belongs in like Pinocchio when he goes to the island that turns you into donkeys I love it But yeah, Before uh, we cut away to Groot, you know, as as Rocket and and Yondu were like bonding, Rocket yeah. says, you know, for a second there I got a warm feeling, but then it was ruined by those disgusting ass teeth. Right. And Yondu's, Yondu's just like, like what? You suck. Are you like a professional asshole? Yeah. What's your deal, dude? Uh but yeah, so Groot kinda trudges over to them all beaten down, and they're just like, hey buddy, how about you help us get out of here? And Yandu explains that there is a prototype version of the techno fin that he uses to control the arrow in the captain's quarters, and he needs to sneak in there and get it. And uh, he brings back the wrong. He brings back some underwear, and they're like, "Nope, that's not it. Go try again." And this time he brings back a lizard, and then he brings back an eye. What's that? He brings back an eye. Oh right, he brings back someone's like artificial eye. 
which Rocket's like, Rocket oh, that's hilarious. To, to keep the eye. Yeah. Uh, he brings back, like, a compass. He brings back an entire desk. This is another joke where it's like, this is a funny gag. You're dragging it out too long. I like it. Cut, it's like, funny. three of the things he brings back, and it's better. Uh, so Yondu... Point- yeah, go ahead. Groot finally finds the fin, and Kraglin finds him finding the fin and brings back the fin. Right. He's like, well, I'm say, sorry, He does Captain. at one point bring back a severed human toe. Sure which, does. Which is a good gag. Uh, but yeah, Kraglin's Kraglin... like, I'm sorry, Captain. I didn't mean to do a mutiny. They yeah. killed all my friends. Right. Uh, so he helps uh, them escape. And now we get Yondu's big cool guy moment in this movie because he's got the new fin that's like way taller than the old one. It's like a centurion helmet fin. And uh, he gets a lot of badass slow-mo walks down hallways while music is playing and he is just uh, murdering everybody on the ship. This is a cool guy action hero. He is a cool guy action hero, turns out. There's just like dozens of bodies falling through the air in slow motion as he just kills everybody and he kills some more people and then he gets to like a surveillance room and you watch the arrow fly around on the security screens and kill even more people and again i'm kind of like i get it he killed a lot of people it was kind of cool but you're overdoing it he gets an environmental kill when he drops a ship on some people yeah, yeah. He breaks a guy's beer. Rocket shoots through the door to this camera room to kill another guy. Right. Because, uh, like, this isn't, I mean, it's not a long movie, but this isn't, like, a short movie either. It's a little over two hours. They could they could, they could, could trim some of these scenes down a little bit is all I'm saying. I agree they could tighten up, but I kind of like the feel of, like, hey, we got time. Uh, I don't know. I, I, again, feel many times this movie where I'm just like, yeah, I get it. I think we're think we're about to finish up issue three here. Right, yes. <laughs> Roughly about. Some of these, you know, the audience may have their own ideas about where the delineations are. Sure, yes. And if you I was gonna say write in, but I don't actually care. <laughs> no, write in. <laughs> yeah, write into Crystal. Let her know where you think the the issue breaks are in this movie. So Kraglin and Yandu and Rocket and Groot are gonna escape on the shuttle while the ship is on fire and blowing up. Right, because Yondu blows everything up, but they're going to detach a fourth of the ship and just use that. Yeah. Uh, Which is is neat. Um, As Taserface is about to die on the burning ship, he sends a message to the Sovereign, the coordinates of Yondu's ship. Right, and tells them, all I ask is that when you capture Yondu, let him know the name of the one who ruined his life. It was Taserface. And the person taking the call just cracks up laughing as he dies. Which, good joke. (laughs) This he gets a look at his face like, oh, come on, and then he blows up. This is who he gets for being taser. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... So they're gonna uh, do some jumps to Ego's planet. Right, Kraglin asks like, where to, and Rocket just yells out, we're going to Ego, and uh, Yondu points out that you're not supposed to do more than 50 jumps at a time in a mammalian body, and they're about to do 500. Yeah, they, there's let's let's go through all the cool little worlds they visit. Oh yeah, sure, hit me. There's a part where there's some uh, what are they called? Cronins, the rock people from Thor, fighting on a, a like a volcano planet. Mm-hmm. Then there's like this weird. It looks like uh, like a topographical map, but all the lines are red and everything else is just black. Yeah, they got. Uh, Meanwhile, their faces are contorting and they kind of look like clay fighter characters. Yeah, their faces are like distorting, their eyeballs are growing huge. Yeah, yeah. 
they go through the quantum realm at some point. Yeah, you know, it's it's yeah, space jumping. Who cares? It's it's fine. It's a fun little sequence. It's a little space adventure. Um, but we cut away from them in like hyperspace hell to Peter marveling at the fact that he's gonna get his own planet and also trying to put the moves on Gamora. He like has her dance to the song that's playing, and she kind of starts. You know, she gets into the dancing. He gives her a little twirl and. He's just like, yeah, see, that was that was nice. Drax says, you can't dance. You don't dance. And she's just like, don't tell anybody. Uh, and then he talks about Cheers a lot. Huh? Yeah. Uh, it's just saying, like, hey, we got this whole Sam and Diane unspoken thing. And she's just like, no, we don't. And yeah, they go back and forth a bunch. Gamora's trying to tell him that she thinks there's something wrong about this planet. That Mantis is trying to tell them something, but won't. And they should probably leave. And Peter starts getting mad and accuses Gamora of being jealous because he's a cool god man. And uh, I think Mantis was just scared of ego. Yeah, that could be that she just kind of was working up the nerve to tell Drax and Gamora coming in kind of broke her like you know, broke the moment. And now she's got to kind of build up to it again. I can buy that. Uh, they start yelling at each other. Gamora ends up yelling that she doesn't know what Cheers is, which I enjoy. That's that's a good joke in this movie. That's good. Uh, and she just and Peter off. starts free like you're just jealous because I'm I'm a god and you like it when I'm the weak one, right? Uh, but yeah, she she storms out. There's like some she just goes to sulk in the middle of a field. She cuts down some like cattails because they're waggling too much. Um, and then their ship starts to come in from the sky and is bearing down on her. Yeah, Nebula's piling a ship and is trying to get a roadkill on Gamora. <laughs> yeah, uh, she just keeps doing, like, uh, strafing runs on Gamora until kind of they, I think she cr- tries to crash the ship on her or something. They end up in a cave. Yeah, Gamora takes retreat in a cave and she just flies it straight into the cave. Yeah. But barely misses Gamora's head and crashes against the wall of the cave, and the ship's right. broken and on fire. Yeah, and one of the guns of the ship broke off, so Gamora grabs it and, like, uses it like a bazooka and just starts shooting the ship up to blow it up. Yeah, uh, it's a very large gun. It's a very large gun. Um, she's, but she's, I don't think we had established her, like, super strength before. We might have. I Yeah, I don't remember. She clearly does have like, super strength, though. To be clear, this gun is about, I would say, mm, six or seven times the size of her body. Yeah, it, it's like as like as wide as she is tall and then maybe two and a half times as long as her. It's very large. So she's she goes to Nebula, who's like dying inside the ship. She's struggling to get out. Gamora's looking at her, but she's like, ah, I'm gonna save her, because I'm a good guy. Right, so she pulls her out, and Gamora does the gross thing I hate to look at, where she, like, like jerks her broken body parts back into place. Yeah. And then as soon as she's better, she starts choking Gamora, and she's just like, oh, come on! Come on! And, uh, so yeah, then they, they start, start having a hand-to-hand fight. Yeah, they, they start tussling, and Nebula manages to get Gamora by the throat with a knife. It's everything she's ever wanted, Crystal. She can kill Gamora right here. She can do it. Yeah, Gamora's <sighs> dying as she is choking her. Yeah. And Nebula lets her go. And she's just like, I won. I did it. I won. Yeah. I beat you. And, uh, yeah, they kind of have an argument about how, like, oh, they, they spare each other their lives. But, oh, why, why do you care so much about winning? Why'd you come halfway across the galaxy just to just to beat me in a fight? 
And Nebula's like, no, you're the one that always cared about winning. That's why I'm a gross cyborg lady now. And Gamora's just like, oh, well, dang. I didn't want you to be. You're the one who wanted to win, and I just wanted a sister. Yeah. I like this moment. Yeah, I like it too. This is good stuff. Yeah. Uh... Peter is just asleep on the couch in his room listening to his mixtape when... Brandy, you're a fine girl. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ego comes in because he saw Gamora storm out and decides to just have a heart-to-heart with his son. And he's like, oh, hey, you're listening to this song. I know this song. It was one of your mom's favorites. She knew all the words to all the songs on Earth. It was cool. <laughs> he says... It is one of Earth's greatest musical compositions. Perhaps it's very greatest. Yeah. But he says, Peter, you and I, we're like the sailor in that song. You know, and he quotes the song's lyrics about how, you know, oh, the sailor loves this woman and she'd make a good wife, but he's in love with the sea. And he's like, that, that's you and me, Peter. Listen, we, we might love women, but like, ah, fuck them, though. <laughs> that's me. That's my <laughs> opinion as ego. We we have a greater purpose, and sometimes we are deprived of the pleasures of mortals as history calls upon great men. Yeah, yeah. And he explains to Peter that they're both immortal, as long as the light exists. Right, and that Peter needs to start, he needs to change the way he thinks about the world, because he still has a mortal frame of mind, and he needs to start just understanding that everything is temporary except for him. Only and we can remake the universe. Only we can take the bridle of the cosmos and lead it to right. where it needs to go. Peter just asks how. Peter starts talking about how he's going to make an 800-foot statue of Pac-Man with Skeletor and Heather Locklear. He's going to make some weird shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Ego wants him to come with him because he's got some stuff to show him about the light. And Mantis kind of overhears that and decides she needs to wake Drax up. She needs to tell him this secret, finally. And uh, Drax assumes that the secret is that she's in love with him. And he's like, no, I tried to let you down gently by telling you you were gross and ugly. I don't want to have sex with you. In fact, I'm going to start retching on my bed at the thought of having sex with you. Because it's very funny when I do that. Uh-huh. <sighs> yeah. Uh-huh. But, uh... Yeah, he goes back to the Hall of Presidents and explains yeah, what their what their I like purpose the is. Hall of Presidents is like shut down and all of the like fully animated mannequins are now just mannequins that are like ha- in halfway between a pose and it's all like a little like rinkadink now in a way that like is a good setup for like the turn that's about to happen here. It like already doesn't so, look as impressive as it did when he first showed it off. Ego explains, I told you how all those years ago, I had an unceasing impulse to find life. What I did not tell you was how, when I finally did find it, it was all so disappointing. And that is when I came to profound realization. My innate desire to seek out other life was not so that I could walk among that life. Peter, I have found me. And then he, he shows Peter the universe. Yeah, he, like, touches his forehead, and Peter's eyes just turn into, like, star fields. And Peter's just like, yeah, oh, Yeah, he sees beautiful. eternity. Yeah. And then Gamora, this cuts to Gamora and Nebula have found inside the cave a big pile of skulls and bones. Just a lot of skeletons. Just lots of them of various different species. Yeah. Like, we should get out of here. Yeah, this is bad. This is no good. Uh, Kraglin and the gang are still jumping throughout the cosmos, and they jump past Stan Lee, the astronaut, telling a story to some watchers. Yeah. 
It's good. <laughs> this is maybe my favorite Stan Lee cameo. Because he's explaining his cameo from Iron Man 3 where he was a Federal Express man. Oh my god, you're right! <laughs> I missed that! Not Iron Man 3, Captain America 3. So what you're saying is this movie canonically proves that Stan Lee is a watcher. Oh, it sure does. <laughs> he's just still in his human form. So, oh, yeah. uh, no, it's very good. Yondu and Rocket finally arrived outside Ego's planet. Yondu's like, hold on, let me bring up this dialogue because it's good. Yeah. Uh, baby group pukes. Um, he's like, what are you going to hear to save Cole for? For honor to love? He's like, no, I want to save Cole so I can prove I'm better than him. I can lure this over him forever. And Yondu starts right. laughing. Yeah. He's like, you can fool yourself and everyone else, but you can't fool me. I know who you are, I know everything about you. I know you play like you're the meanest and the hardest, but actually, you're the most scared of all. I know you steal batteries you don't need, and you push away anyone who's willing to put up with you. Because just a little bit of love reminds you how big and empty that hole inside you actually is. I know them scientists that made you never gave a rat's ass about you. Just like my own damn parents who sold me their own little baby into slavery. I know who you are, boy. Because you're me. What kind of a pair are we, Crystal? This is good. I like this. This is maybe the best scene in the movie. Yeah, this is great. I like this, okay. this Yondu Rocket relationship is very good. Yes, it is. Um, I know he's talking about like the batteries that are part of the plot of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, but I just I like I prefer to think he's just talking in general, like oh, you just go to like Walmart and just steal some batteries for no reason because you're broken inside. Let me ask you something about this. Yeah, what's up? You you get you get a little bit of uh of uh of gay subtext from this? I don't really. I I if someone read that into it, I I I guess I see why they would. But before it, that, this movie came out, James Gunn did that thing where was like, you know, there might be gay characters on screen. Who could possibly know? Maybe oh you just Lord. put them there and didn't tell you. <sighs> like an asshole. It's like, well, Great. this is, this kind of seems like the one, I guess. If you wanted to read this as romantic, I, I think there is space to do that. I definitely just saw it more as this is an older man seeing, like, a younger guy, like, make the same mistakes he did and is trying to, like, make him realize, like, hey, don't do that. But, like, if you want to take that a step further and say, like, also there's a romantic feeling there, like, yeah, I mean, I could see that. So Gamora goes back to Mantis and chokes her against the walls, like, what the hell is going on here? What are these bones I found in those caves? Yeah. And Mantis explains, and those are his children. Yeah. And it's like cross-cutting with Ego giving Peter more and more, uh, like, of the reveal. And he explains it's that- It's called the expansion. Yes. It is my purpose. He is gone- Now it is yours as well. He's gone throughout the galaxy and has planted that weird little flower we saw at the start on- Tons and tons of planets, because the idea is that it's going to overgrow those planets and transform the entire universe into ego. If ego the living planet, <laughs> more like ego the living universe. He only had one problem. A single celestial doesn't have enough power to do it. But two celestials, yeah. that just might do. Mm. And yeah, we get like one of the Hall of Presidents machines is showing him making out with a bunch of different aliens. And then, like, it keeps spinning around, and every time it does, there's more and more hymns making out with aliens. And he's explaining that he kept trying to graft his DNA onto another living thing to create something that could use the light the way he can, but it never worked. 
until Peter. And it was it was his mom that finally enabled him to create the kind of child he wanted. So every all the other guardians are like, we gotta go save Peter. And Mance is like, no, he he already will have won Ego will have won Peter to his side by now. Yeah. Uh Ego but the and Drax don't want to give up on him because right. they're not friends, Luke, but yeah, they well, are they, family. Yeah, they're like, we gotta save our friend, and Nebula's just like, he you people yell at each other all the time. You're not friends. And Drax says, no, we're not friends. We're family. I like it. Yeah, I like it too. Uh, Ego is, at this point, just screaming about how he's not alone anymore. I like that Ego is simultaneously a slimy piece of shit and also just a pathetic, lonely thing. Yeah. They, I, I, they, we've talked a lot about how Marvel movies have a hard time with good villains. Ego is a good villain. Ego's a good villain. Kurt Russell plays him well. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're near the end of issue four, four here, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. That like him with his arms stretched out saying for the first time, I am not alone would be like the splash page that ends the issue. And Peter, Peter's like convinced by all this with the space in his eyes. He's like, oh, but dad, my friends. Right. And he's like, ah, Peter's just like, oh, son, it's fine. You'll get over it. Don't worry. And he's like, but, but mom, didn't you love mom? And Ego explains that, yeah, no, of course I did. I only visited all the people I had sex with once, but I visited your mom three times. And on the third time, I realized if I came back a fourth time, I might never leave. So it really hurt, but I put a brain tumor in her head to kill her so that she wouldn't distract me from my purpose. And that instantly breaks the spell and Peter just shoots him a bunch. (laughs) Why did Ego think that would be a good thing to tell him? Because he's a dumbass. He is a dumbass. He doesn't dumbass. understand that he would care about it. Dipshit like, idiot okay. planet. <laughs> Meredith Quill in this story still doesn't actually get to be a character. Oh, not She's at all. still just no. a thing for these two guys to fight over. Yes. But within the context of that, I like that this immediately breaks Peter and he immediately shoots him. Right, yeah. Uh, and just Ego's body is just full of, like, burning bullet holes. It's like, who do you think you are that you can shoot me for killing your mother? <laughs> oh, I forgot that right before he gets shot, he's like, I know that sounds bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Ego is such a piece of shit. <laughs> he's so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, he turns to Dave of Hasselhoff as he's reforming. Right, because he, he specifically made himself look like who he thought that Peter would like the most. Ego tells him, you know what, I wanted to do this as father and son together, but I guess you'll just have to spend the next thousand years living as a battery. Oh, but Crystal, Peter's friend is great at stealing batteries! It all oh. comes full circle! Let's call it screenwriting, baby. <laughs> Yeah, because then it immediately cuts to Rocket, like, breaking in. Uh, And then we see, yeah, we see, like, Yondu's ship approaching the planet, and it's got a big stupid face on it, and I'm happy now. I'm satisfied. It's good. Uh, Ego takes Peter's Walkman, and the Brandy song is playing. Yeah. He kind of listens to it and cries a little bit, and he's like, the expansion, Peter, this is my sea. And he breaks his Walkman. He breaks his Walkman! He just crushes it. What and a Peter prick. lets loose a tear also, because it's his mom gave that to him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we see, we, we cut back to the Dairy Queen that was there in the 80s that's still going strong. Good for the franchisee of that Dairy Queen. 
But that f- flower in the woods behind it uh, blooms into like, it's almost like blue lava that is just stretching out everywhere and crushes the Dairy Queen and is just overrunning the whole town. Yeah, it's a big blob. Yeah. There was originally supposed to be a cameo of a film festival for Wonder Man, played uh. by Nathan Fillion here. Oh, okay. But they cut it. Oh, huh. all right. Yeah, the big um, blob is, like, overtaking this whole town. Right, but uh, Yondu crashes his ship into Ego, and that stops the flow of the, the blob for now. So Mantis explains, like, listen, we killed his human form there, but that's not actually his body, and he's going to reform uh, something else soon, because he is the this planet. Right, Mantis is just like, haven't y'all ever played a JRPG? The boss transforms after you beat them. Right, you gotta go through multiple stages. Yeah. Uh, and Peter so starts arguing. Peter's like, no, listen, what we got to do is drill down to the center of the planet and shoot his brain. Yeah, which, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so, yeah, they get to work trying to, like, smash through it. He's, like, fighting with Yondu. He's like, oh, you used to always tell me that you'd eat me. And that sucks. You're you're bad. I don't like you. And uh, Yondu tells him he's got issues. And he's like, well, of course I, was I do. being funny. Right. Of course I have issues. Look at that blue ethereal skeleton regenerating in front of us. That's my dad. (laughs) It's like this this weird light monster, but with like a flesh head that's screaming at them. They just ram through it. Yeah. Uh, The ship has a cool gimmick to it where it's got these like metal balls with lasers on them that are there's like magnetic tracks all over the ship that they can roll along to like reconfigure themselves to shoot at any angle. It's a neat neat little gimmick for a ship. Um, but yeah, they are blasting through the planet, going down to the core. Um, Craglin mentions that if they save the galaxy two times, they can really jack up their prices. Yeah. Craglin is hanging out in orbit above Ego, and he notices that uh, all of the sovereign forces have arrived to just complicate things a little more. And Peter, Peter explains to Yondu, like, you know, Ego taught me a little bit how to use the celestial powers. I was able to make a ball. I was like, right. a ball? I thought as hard as I could is all that kind I could come up with. You thought. That's the problem. You're trying to I make use this your... arrow fly, use my head? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they're getting down into the core, but then all the sovereign forces show up. What's up? Graglin's eating yogurt. <laughs> what? Graglin's eating yogurt on the bridge? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the way Sean Gunn sits there eating yogurt. No, it's good. I agree. Um, but yeah, they end up in kind of this big empty space in the center of the planet. There's a big, like, shell around the brain that they're going to have to drill through. But uh, Ego is going to reform, so they have to drill through it quickly. But now all the sovereign forces are here, so that's going to... Oh, boy. Just a real fine kettle yeah. of fish they've gotten themselves in here. Some of the Guardians fall off of the ship and have to land on... Part of Ego's greater skull, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, they, Ego's, they Ego's starting to reform. The Mantis puts her hand to the ground and puts him to sleep. Yes. Uh, she, because Drax believes in her. So that, you know, yeah. Uh, they kind of blow up all of the sovereign forces by having Nebula, like, jack her batteries into the ship to overpower the lasers. You know, sure. Why not? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Like, uh, Nebula and Yondu get a little moment together, I guess. Yeah. Where he's like, ah, this is gonna hurt. And she's like, promises, promises. So I get, yeah, because, yeah. 
Uh, so Groots and Rocket and Quill have a plan to crawl through Ego's skull and plant a big bomb on his brain. Right. But they're too big to fit through the holes, so Groot's gotta right. do it. Yeah, because it's, it's calling back to, oh, because Peter used to be skinny and good for doing stuff, but now that's Groot's job, because he's a tiny little babe. So Rocket very carefully explains to Groot that he's gotta press this button, not the other button, because one of them will give him five minutes, and the other will make it explode immediately. Right. And you, yeah, it's it's kind of a <laughs> reprise of the, like, go get the fin bit from earlier. Rock is trying- Yeah, this is one of those scenes you don't like where it goes on very long. It goes on very long. There's a bit where he's like, you know what, I'm just going to put tape over the button you're not supposed to push. <laughs> I, this, in this time, it almost works for me that it goes on for so long, because then it goes into a subsection where Peter is flying around the space battle happening outside, asking everybody if they've got tape. Right, there's like funny. the audio of Quill asking everyone for tape as the camera's still just focusing on Rocket and Groot sitting there. Right, and Groot is just like picking out a little like leaf that's growing out of his shoulder, bored. So Quill comes back, uh, he's like, no, no one has any tape. And Rocket's like, did you ask Nebula? He's like, uh, we'll ask Yondu, and Nebula was sitting right next to him. Right, and while they're fighting about that, Groot just takes the bomb and runs. Uh, and Rocket's just like, well, we're all gonna die. Uh, so yeah, the the sovereign forces get defeated, but Ego is starting to reform because Mantis can't keep him asleep for too long. Yeah, it's like uh, Star Lord is flying around on his jetpack, and he it kind of looks like he and Nebula and Yondu all got caught in an explosion as all of the sovereign ships are blowing up. Right. But then Nebula uh, jumps down to the ground, and she's fine because she's a cyborg. Right. Whereas Quill and where Quill is slowly floating down because his jetpack. And Yondu is slowly floating down because of his arrow. He's, like, hanging on to it. Yeah, and Quill says, like, oh, you look like Mary Poppins. I I really like this little exchange here where Yondu's like, Mary Poppins, is he cool? And Quill has, like, this short beat where he gives, like, a proud look to Yondu. He's like, yeah, he's cool. Yeah. And Yondu goes, I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. It's a good Uh, scene. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. Uh, this is when this this would be the end of issue five, I guess. The music's all swelling, and all the guardians are on the ground together. The camera swivels around them as there's big explosions in the background, and like Gamora and Quill give a meaningful look at each other, and everyone looks super cool and badass. Right, but then a big rock clonks Mantis on the head because this movie hates Mantis. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like it's just why, why be nice to Mantis movie. Be nice to Mantis. She's a nice lady who didn't do anything wrong. But since Mantis is knocked out, Ego wakes back up. Yeah. And Groot's still crawling through the tunnels trying to find the brain. Right. Uh, And yeah, we get a whole thing. Like, now this whole area is, like, caving in. Gamora's, like, falling, but uh, Nebula saves her. And uh, now there's just a big Tentacles pouring all around, hitting everyone. Yeah. Like, crushing them. Yeah. Craglin's preparing uh, the ship for the extraction, but, you know, they still gotta get there. Right. Yondu is doing his best to fend off, like, the energy tentacles with the arrow. You know, every, everyone's doing their best, but they're getting pushed back slowly but surely. There's a cool scene where Ego starts reforming his human body, and at first it's, like, just the bones, and he slowly builds the muscles and the tendons and then the skin. Yeah, yeah, it's gross, and I like it. And the big epic music is playing. Yeah. It says, I told you, Peter, I don't want to be alone. Yeah. 
Which, again, I like this villain, because his plan is to make himself alone forever. And he's yeah. just, like, a weird, shitty asshole who doesn't understand that he's, like, denying himself the thing he wants by doing what he's doing. Yeah. Good well, bad he's guy. He's turning the zero into a null. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's not that he's alone. There, there is nothing else. It's just him. Right. So he, he turns Peter back into a battery, and now we get shots of the goo not only on Earth, but on a whole bunch of other planets. Yeah, it's it's overrunning a whole bunch of worlds. Peter is, like, paralyzed by the, the tentacle. But as Yondu is, like, getting buried under rubble, he's like, Listen, I don't control the arrow with my head, I control it with my heart. I and like then, uh, Ego's evil speech here. Hold on. Yeah, yeah. He, like, tells Peter that, like, you're, like, one out of billions, trillions. What greater meaning can there be in life? He's very, like... Like, there's some, like, uh, MRA YouTube guys that would like Ego a lot, I feel like. Yes. <laughs> but then Peter Quill discovers the greater meaning that life could possibly have to offer when he starts having flashbacks to various points in his life. Yeah. Like him on Earth see, like, listening listen to, to, music with to his, his mom, Walkman or, with, yeah. the, with another kid, and him laughing with Drax, and him flying around in a jetpack with Rocket, and him being trained by Yondu as a kid. Yeah. And Luke, it's like relationships with other people are more important than being everything. <laughs> than consuming the universe and transforming it into yourself. <laughs> uh, and yeah, he clenches his fist and the dirt starts to swirl around him like he's a Dragon Ball character powering up. Yeah, we're getting ready for a Dragon Ball fight. We, mm, the, the, actually, the main thought I had watching this was, I feel like more Hollywood people need to watch Dragon Ball, because they don't know how to do cool-looking fights of people flying around, throwing each other into mountains. Right. Because I like the idea of this fight, but it doesn't look very good. It's not cool to watch. I like it. I, the only part I don't like is the Pac-Man part. The Pac-Man part's just dumb. That, that's that's a like, smidge too far. It, Maybe part of it is that the film Pixels has ruined the idea of a giant monster Pac-Man being cool forever, but right. eh, it's it's too much. Fleetwood Mac's Never Break the Chain starts playing as Peter starts punching Ego with his big rock hand as he says, you shouldn't have killed my mom and broke my Walkman. Yeah. And yeah, the, the rocks that were like crushing everybody start to recede because now Peter is like taking a little bit of control of them. We see like the people that were dying in the wave of goo on all the worlds are kind of like saved at the last minute. And Groot it's finally good. finds the brain. Yeah, Groot gets down to the brain. He's got the bomb. And he's he, got to like, press the right button. Yeah, he almost pushes the wrong button, but then he presses the right button. So good job, Groot. <laughs> he starts running away. Yeah. So everyone's like, okay, we got to get out of here. But Luke. They don't have yeah. enough stuff to get them all out of here. Yeah, so they can't get Peter because he's he's too far away. He's too busy. And Yondu's like, we we gotta you you gotta go, Rocket. And Rocket's just like, we we can't leave without you though, Yondu. And Yondu just tells him, listen, I've fucked up my whole life. You gotta give me this opportunity to redeem myself. And Rocket just sort of sadly gives him a spacesuit and a rocket pack and leaves. Yeah, so that this is the part where Peter turns into a giant Pac-Man who yeah. eats the giant Kurt Russell. Right. They all explode into a bunch of rocks. Yep. And as there's like one minute left on the bomb timer, everyone else is on the ship and they're like, where's Peter? We gotta go back and get him. But Rocket yeah, shoots but, Gamora and yeah. says, I can only afford to lose one friend. Yeah, and, and like Drax is like, wait, where's Peter? Where's Peter? Um... 
but it's, it's so I I like this part too where Igor realizes he's running out of time and he starts freaking the fuck out. Yeah, yeah. Because, because of the first time in his life, he feels a sense of mortality. Yeah, 100%. It's really good. And, and like, this is all just Kurt Russell selling this. Because, yeah, in the last 10 seconds of his life, he is finally contemplating the idea that he might die. And it is giving him a panic attack, basically. He's, like, begging Peter, we need to stop it. We need to stop it. Yeah. And uh, he tells Peter, like, listen, y- you, we're gods. But if you kill me and snuff out the light, then you'll just be like everybody else. And Peter just goes, what's so wrong with that? And, uh, yeah, the bomb goes off. Brain is dead. The brain dies, and Kurt Russell just, like, implodes into dust in a cool-looking effect. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. We, there is a point somewhere during all of this where we get a wide shot of the planet, and it has the face. Yeah, yeah, which, again... The big mustache. I like that it's got a big, stupid face. (laughs) Yeah. So now Peter's Peter's in the middle of all the exploding planet as it, like, implodes on itself. Yeah. He's like, ah, oh, geez, just... I guess there's no way for me to get out of here. Nope, he's dead. Oh, but The wh- Yondu flies in. What? Picks him up and flies him to the space. Yeah, and, uh... And he, not... tells, he tells Peter, he may have been your father, boy, but he wasn't your daddy. And Peter's just like, what? what, what, what? And Yondu tells him, you know, listen... I was a really terrible father, and I'm sorry for all the screw-ups I did, but at least I'm saving your life? That's something. Here you go, spacesuit, I'm gonna die now, bye. Sorry I didn't do none of it right. I'm damn lucky you're my boy. Yeah, right. So, yeah, so he gives he gives Peter the breathing thing, the right. don't freeze in space juice. Right, and Yondu starts just freezing as they enter the enter space, and Peter's like trying to take it off, but for some reason he can't. I guess he's just, like, fumbling it or something. Well, uh-huh. Um, and he just watches as Yondu freezes in his arms, and, like, a tear comes out of Yondu's eye and then freezes on his eyeball. Yeah. Yondu's dead. Yondu dies. You don't spe- You don't freeze in space like that. Not no, that quickly. No, you don't. That's not... I but, mean, yeah. the oxygen would be an issue. Uh, yeah, like, listen, they just uh, exploded a giant brain at the core of a living planet, so, you know, I'm willing to forgive them some science goofs. Okay. So there's there's a long shot of the sad music playing as Yondu freezes in space and Peter desperately tries to get him to not die, but he can't do anything about it. Right. So we cut to Yondu's funeral. Yeah, we, we they have a funeral for Yondu on the ship. Uh, they have all his little knickknacks that he likes to put on the dashboard. Yeah, and Peter just gives a speech about how, you know, he used to always want David Hasselhoff to be his dad. But, you know, when you think about it, all right, Yondu didn't have kit from Knight Rider, but he did have a spaceship, and he went on adventures and fought bad guys and robots, and gosh, when you really think about it, he did have David Hasselhoff as a dad. He had a really good dad, a cool dad. Sometimes that thing you're searching for your whole life, it's right there by your side all along, and you don't even know it. Right, so we kind of brought this up at the start, where, like, I think there's people that are frustrated that this movie goes all in on redeeming Yondu like this. How do you how do you feel about it? I don't think it does go all in. I think I think it is it acknowledges Yondu's failings. Yeah, um, the, I, I mostly agree with you. I think the only thing I'd say is I can I can imagine a slightly better version of this movie where Peter's little speech here kind of gives a little more like, listen, there was some bad things about this man. He did do a lot to hurt me, but also I love him. And, like, make it make that complexity a little more, like, front and center in this scene instead of it just being 
I love my dad. Yeah, I can see you know? Yeah. Like, Definitely. I, I think it works the way it is, but they could put a little bit of a finer point on it. The one little joke at the beginning of this eulogy I like is when he explains who David Hasselhoff is. He's yeah. a singer and actor from Earth, really famous guy. Right. And uh, he took Gabor's yeah. advice into account. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so as Nebula's watching this, she walks away and Gamora goes on after her. Yeah. He explains like, listen, I was a child like you. I was just concerned with staying alive until the next day, every day. And I didn't really think about what Thanos was doing to you. Right. I'm trying to make it right by being a superhero. Yeah, I'm trying to help stay little with kids like us all over the world, all over the galaxy even. And, you know, you could stay here and help me to help them. He goes, I'm going to help the children by murdering Thanos. And Gamora's just like, well, that sounds hard, but I guess, you know what, you do you. And they hug. And they, they have a hug, and Gamora says, you will always be my sister. Yeah. And it's a nice, nice little... Yeah. This little, nice little nice. It's a good little moment. It's a, it's a good little echo of the main story arc. They give Yondu a nice space cremation. Yeah, they're like cremating him in the engine of the ship, which is badass. That's a cool way to get uh, cremated. Yeah. So then Kraglin <laughs> gives Peter a gift. Oh, yeah. Because you gotta <laughs> end a Guardians <laughs> episode with him uh, getting more music for the next movie. The captain found this for you in the junker shop. Said you'd come back to the fold someday. It's called the Zune. It's what everybody's listening to on Earth nowadays. <laughs> got 300 songs on it. Now, do you think Microsoft paid for this reference? No. <laughs> I, I don't think, think Microsoft so. is interested in maintaining the Zune brand, which was right. discontinued in 2012. <laughs> yeah, it's a good goof. Yeah. That's, yeah, 300 whole songs, which Peter's blown <laughs> like, away Peter's by. so impressed by it. <laughs> Right, because he's used to cassette tapes, and any MP3 player is impressive in comparison. Uh, and Peter gives and him... Peter gives him, gives yeah. Kraglin the Yondu's arrow. Yeah. Kraglin, Kraglin's very, he's very emotional at receiving the arrow. Right. And as they're, like, venting Yondu's ashes out into space, they look out and they see a whole swarm of ships coming in. Because Rocket told them about what Yondu did today, and all the other Ravager ships have come to have, like, celebrate his funeral. Not celebrate, but, like, pay their respects at his funeral. And it's it's, it's an emotional moment. Yeah, but, uh, Peter's playing Cat Stevens' father and son on his Zune. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's this very long, like, funeral sequence where all the Ravager ships are, like, releasing fireworks into space. Right, because their religion thing is all about how you see the colors of whatever when uh, over your grave. And, like, yeah. it's literal. They're shooting off fireworks. It's good. This part's good. It's good. Uh, and, yeah, we're getting, like, cuts to Sylvester Stallone, who, like, ah, uh, in the end, he didn't let us down. He was good. And, and we cut to a bunch of other, like, Ravager leaders that, I guess, were the original Guardians of the Galaxy. And uh, they're all just, like, saluting Yondu. And it's 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 a nice moment to end the movie on. Yeah, and P Peter and Rocket have a little moment where Rocket, like, suddenly acknowledges that he's been an asshole and he's going to try not to be. Yeah, yeah, like, he's grown from, like, his, like, being with Yondu these, this past few days and, like, learning from his mistakes. And they, they kind of just patch up their uh, friendship. And then Gamora comes down and 
kind of just alludes to the idea that, you know, she does have feelings for Peter. And they don't kiss or I like, anything. I like that they leave it at that. I do, too. Again, it's something I like in movies that the Marvel movies have a surprisingly good track record with, where they don't, like, artificially rush the the romantic stuff. We're just like, hey, you know what? Maybe I do have some feelings for you. Now let's just kind of put our arms around each other at this funeral and just leave it there for now. It's good. And there's also uh, a little final one between Mantis and Drax, which you remember the episode of Everybody Loves Raymond we watched (laughs) for our one shot podcast, Everybody Loves Everybody Loves Raymond. I remember. So Mantis is watching the fire. She's like, it's beautiful. And Drax says, it is. And so are you on the inside. Yeah. It's like, come on. Come on. Come on. Just let him have this. Yeah. Well, no, I I didn't really read that as a joke. I just thought he was saying, like, in spite of all the times I've called you ugly and gross this whole time, you are beautiful on the inside. But it is like a joke because she's only beautiful on the inside. She's still ugly on the outside. Yeah, I see I see why you're reading is a joke. That's not how it came across to me, but I, I get why why it came across that way to you. Uh-huh. Like the fireworks form an arrow in the sky, and Rocket actually gets the last shot of the movie. Yeah. Like the last shot of the main film is him crying looking at the arrow. Yeah. Which is why I think there's maybe maybe some subtext there. Yeah, like I said, I man, like if you want to read it that way, there's room to, but especially for them to like, if that is intentional for them to like take credit for that, go to hell. Right. right. Either make a no, gay I should romance be in your movie or shut the hell up. I should be clear. This is me reading into this. This is not me uh, ascribing intent to James Gunn. No, no, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's oh boy. <laughs> Then but we yeah. get six post-credit scenes. <laughs> There's so many post-credit scenes this time. Yeah. Yeah, the first one is uh Craglin trying to learn how to use the arrow and accidentally stabbing Drax. As, as Drax is screaming, he just walks away. <laughs> yeah. And Drax bled out and died, and he won't be in any more movies. Probably not. Uh, That's probably Jeff true. Goldblum as the Grand Masters in the credits. What's that? As well as Astro the Space Dog. Jeff Goldblum as the Grand Masters in the credits. Great. There's a scene of uh, Stakar gathered all the old guardians together. Yeah. And they're going to steal some shit. shit. Yeah. Uh, And then what else happens throughout these? We get like. Let's see. A sequel tease with uh, the high priestess of Sovereign, who's just really disheveled in her golden gleaming bedroom thing. And she's just like, I've got, a, everyone's mad at me because I've wasted so much time and money on something stupid. But everyone's going to forgive me when they see the cool thing I made. I call it Adam. And I'm assuming that'd be a big deal to somebody who's into the Marvel comics. Yeah, it's Adam Warlock. All right. Yeah, I've never heard of Adam Warlock. He's important. Okay, I believe you. Uh, then there's, we fast forward a few years to Teen Groot, who has a very messy room, is playing video games all day. Yeah. And Peter's like, you gotta clean your room, dude. I'm not boring, right. you're boring. Yep, it's just, it's just, now we get, now we get smarmy Teen Groot. And then the final, final one is, uh, Stan Lee telling the Watchers, like, hey, wait, guys, I got so many more stories to tell. Guys, Which come is a on. That's uh, weirdly bittersweet to hear, like, this after his passing. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's got a loaded meaning behind it that it didn't really have when they wrote it down. But yeah, they all just ditch him because he sucks. And that's the end of the movie. Have you seen the music video 
uh, for this film starring David Hasselhoff singing the song. I have not, no. It's worth watching. All right, I'll have to check that out. Well, Luke, what'd you think of this film? I think it is pretty good. There's places good. where I think it drags a little and it could use some like tightening up, but I think the core of it is solid. You know, much much like the Guardian's junky spaceship, it might, you know, be a little clunky, but it gets you where you need to go, you know? How would you how could we say it is numerically speaking? Like like if I was giving it a grade, let's say? Mm-hmm. I'm feeling like uh B minus? B minus. Yeah. Okay. It's higher than the first one. Oh, definitely higher than the first one, yes. I think this is one of my favorite ones. Yeah? I think I'm 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 willing to give this one a B plus. Oh. Mm, it's not better than the Avengers. How's it compared to Civil War? <sighs> I mean, I think it's better than Civil War, but I've got Civil War a lot lower than you do. Hmm. Hmm. Civil War's pretty good though. Ah, that's where you're wrong. <laughs> you gave it a C. Yeah, it's 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 fine. It's alright. It's fine. It's acceptable. Hmm. I think I'm going to put it just above Civil War. Okay, so that's, uh, yeah, B-plus for you. Yeah, so between Avengers Civil War. I can see that. that that's an understandable one. I think I'm going to put it yeah. just above uh, the first Captain America movie. Just above the first Avenger. Yeah, above first Avenger, below Iron Man 3. Hmm. That that sounds right to me. That means cumulatively, not counting AJ, who has abstained from this. Right. He doesn't want to watch this movie. As a solid B average. Hey, you know what? That's that's fine. You can put that on a college transcript. Yeah, right. E- equal in quality to Doctor Strange. That's that sounds more or less right to me. Yeah. Yeah. Better than the Avengers. Uh, oh yeah. Overall, yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Yeah. The Avengers were like me when I went to college. Great first semester, and then immediately tanked. Look, we're gonna be able to send us questions. Uh, well, they can send us questions to mcucompletemy at gmail.com, or they can just uh, follow you on Twitter at ArcaneCrystal and wait for you to put out a questions post. I think that's where most of our questions come in from. Yeah, let me just check the email, which is, of course is mcucompletemy at gmail.com. That's the one. Uh, do you want me to read some Twitter questions while you're doing that? Well, let's actually read an email first. Okay, yeah, hit me. Oh, this one's really long. Okay. Do you want to read this one? Uh, I can read it if you want to give me the text of it, sure. Oh, wow, this is long. <clears throat> so, uh, who who is this from? This is from Lore Eldritch. Okay, okay. So, this is less of a question and more of a stream of consciousness, consciousness essay-length ramble with a mostly unrelated question glued on haphazardly at the end. So, take that as you will. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is my favorite MCU movie. It's not the best or the most important, but it stabs me right in the chest with a knife that seems custom-made for me. The themes of found family and abusive parents that the first movie tried to have are actually well thought out. The whole thing is super well-paced so that everyone does stuff, but it doesn't feel overstuffed. And maybe it's mostly because of my experiences, but it just felt extremely resonant. If you stopped and thought about the first movie, you could realize that the three-fifths of the core cast had shitty parents, using the word loosely for Rocket, and that probably kind of informed their relationships. But you had to read into it a lot to find that, and while I tend to overanalyze and headcanon and extrapolate everything, most people don't, and so any real message there falls flat from lack of emphasis. This movie has it written all over it. 
Peter rejects his emotionally manipulative birth father, and although he recognizes the abuse Yondu put him through, uh, uh, put him put him through, sees how he's changed and makes his de- makes the decision to accept and forgive him. Gamora and Nebula recognize their shared trauma and accept their sisterhood while rejecting the person who initially made that connection, because he's a terrible person with a shitty plan and nonsensical motives. Rocket learns to deal with the imposter syndrome that comes with having people genuinely care about and accept you, and when he has always been outcast and has grown to see that as part of his identity. That one guy who I really liked when I saw it, but I'll be damned if he even has a name, much less one I remember, but like Yondu's second in command, seems to see Yondu as a kind of parental figure, and although he doesn't have much of an arc beyond regrets mutiny, that's not really a connection shared by Yondu. Mantis was seemingly raised by Ego. He's the only real parent she's ever known, but he only sees her as a walking ambient and not a person. All the characters seem to be trying to do better with Baby Groot. And Drax is also there, and he's great, but also is like the only character to not connect to this theme at all. He connects more to the theme of loss, which is important, but not as all-consuming. Only really showing up with him and Peter, as far as I can remember. Speaking of Peter and loss, Yondu is so good, and I love him. I don't really like death as redemption because it absolves the character of guilt without making them face the consequences of their actions and work to try to reverse or mitigate the harm they've done. Also, even when it's really important to the narrative or story, I just don't really like character death because I think it's overused to the point where people don't know how to build stakes without it. And also, I'm a big sap who wants everyone to be alive and happy and friends. But man, Yandu's death is such a perfect conclusion to his character arc, putting Peter's needs above his own, and I'm crying again thinking about that funeral scene, it's so good! The big downside, though, is we don't get to see Peter find out the raccoon he hangs around with is his new stepdad. (laughs) Besides all these things, it really just feels tailor-made for me. Fun space opera, rainbow color palette, uh, the sweet song on the soundtrack, Jimmy Urine being in it, Jimmy Urine dying in it, acknowledgement that empaths are fucking cool, really funny jokes, a platonic ending to the romantic subplot, the fact that my only Tumblr post to get over a hundred likes was a shitty joke about this movie, depressing IRL bullshit about how this is a movie where the main character connects with a dead parent through media, my dad used to make me see all the Marvel movies, Aww. There's so much I could go on about, but this isn't actually my podcast, so I guess I probably should. Anyway, my question is, can you please put Avatar The Last Airbender, the movie, the video game on the Let's Place listener suggested list? You got it. Thanks for the email. I pretty much agree with all of that. Thank you, Faust. Yeah. This email was sent in by Faust, actually. Sorry. I'll edit that to be (laughs) proper. Yeah. Way to go. Yeah, no, that was that was a very well-written email, and yeah, I I think you said a lot of what I was thinking about this movie a little clearer than I did, so yeah. Yeah, I have, I have very similar feelings about the film, and I'm glad someone else uh, feels similarly. Yeah. Uh, what else we got? Uh, let's see, Twitter. Tankhammer asks... Do you feel like the climax of Yondu was earned or just stapled on at the end, at the 11th hour as a cheap cliche? I still got choked up at the fireworks bit. And what's your favorite musical cue? Hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like the Yondu thing was tacked on at the end. I kind of feel like it was building that the whole movie. And the funeral was good. Yeah. Um, I will, I like the funeral a lot. There was a part of me that kind of wished he survived because it would have been interesting to see a third movie where he was actively trying to be, like, a better relative to Quill. Yes, I would have also liked to see that. Yeah, like, if they're gonna kill him off, they did it the right way, but, I don't know, I would have liked to see him live. Yeah, I, w- I would like to see something that isn't death as redemption, but rather, you have to do a lot of 
really hard work to repair your relationship. Yeah. Like, this is a good use of that trope, but like that email said, that's kind of an overused trope, and it's it's kind of cliche at this point. And it has the danger of making it seem like, well, I guess you're forgiven for all the shitty things you did because you died at the end doing a nice thing. And like, again, I don't think this movie does that, but I can forgive people that see that happen and kind of throw up their arms. My favorite musical cue. There's some pretty good ones in this movie. Yeah, I feel like uh, I kind of recognized immediately a lot more of the songs from the first movie. So they kind of like hit me a little better just because I, I don't know the bands that showed up in this one as much. Like the only one I really like listen to is ELO from the title sequence. So I guess that one. I like uh, when Peter gets mad and it plays I Will Never Break the Chain. Yeah, that's good. Jasmine asks, are you as tired of Quill as I am? Can we have the Guardian sans this sad jerk boy? Gamora, you can do so much better. Mantis is right there, babe. (laughs) I don't know that there's too much Gamora-Mantis interaction in this film. Yeah, they don't really talk to each other much, and when they do, it's... There's one line where she says she's not ugly, and one line where she's like, oh, it was weird when you used your empath powers on me. Yeah, yeah. Like, they could go that way, sure. I don't know, I, I like Quill just fine. I like him better in this movie than the first one. Um... Like but if you, definitely, definitely Guardians 3, he should not be the main character anymore. Right, he should be, like, the, like, lead, because he's the leader of the team, but it should be about, like, another character's story that he's kind of on the yes. ride for. Veronica asks, why does Drax think they're harbulary batteries? Because he doesn't pay attention. He's a big old goof. Uh, Jordan asks, if your dad was a planet, would you want to visit him? What if he was Kurt Russell? I would definitely visit my dad if he was Kurt Russell. I want to ask him so much about Escape from New York or whatever. Uh, I don't know. Would you live on your planet, Dad? I I feel like it'd be a little weird. It might be a little odd. What what do you think? If your dad was a planet, what would the planet be like? Probably like Venus. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like my dad planet would just be kind of like the whole planet is like Cleveland. And there's a lot of like football stuff around and a lot of conservative talk radio those are two things he likes a lot a lot of batman he likes batman i don't know i got enough (laughs) mark asks do you think they integrated peter's true identity slash abilities to his guardians one story well enough or do they feel tacked on do you think there's a way for marvel movies to solve having a million characters and wanting to develop them all at once uh, uh, I yeah, I don't feel Peter's true identity was integrated in Guardians 1 very well, and the way you do it is to write a good script. Yeah, write a good script. I actually think they did fine integrating it, because this movie establishes his powers kind of only work if he's on the Ego planet. So, like, it's fine that they didn't really manifest other than, hey, we took this body scan and he's all glowy, that's weird. Like, I don't know. I, I think they did a good enough job with that. I just don't like that they, like... <laughs> The way they talk about, oh, actually, you're a special boy at the end of Guardians 1. Yeah, sure, I I can see that. But then I I think Guardians 2 kind of retroactively makes that better when the resolution to that is he rejects his special boy powers. Because he'd rather just be a normal person like everyone else. Yeah. Drunk at a Piano Bench asks, do you accept the canon that Groot in this movie is a different person than the Groot who died in 1? I feel like... That gets into, like, you could probably argue either way, because all he ever says is, I am Groot. I It definitely felt to me like it was just a new person. 
Yeah, it's his son. I accept the canon. Yeah. Like, I could see the argument that, no, it's the same guy, he's got the memories, but he's a baby, and he's got, like, a baby mindset, so it doesn't manifest right. But, like, at that point, he is still, again, kind of just the, a new person, you know? It, yeah. Caleb asks, is Mary Poppins cool? Oh, the coolest. I've never seen the film Mary Poppins. However, I, I have seen the film Mary Poppins Returns. How was that? It's pretty good. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. I've I've never seen a piece of Mary Poppins. Yeah. They're making Mary Poppins 3. Okay. They're just going to go all, all in on that. <laughs> well, they got it. Great. Manny asks... How cute is Baby Groot? So Baby Groot is cute, but here's the thing, Crystal. When this movie came out, they really pushed Baby Groot hard as, like, a marketing thing. Oh, sure did. And I was kind of sick of Baby Groot before I ever saw any of this movie. That's fair. And, like, it's been long enough that that's faded a little bit, but, like, in 2017, I never wanted to look at a Baby Groot again. I like him. Yeah, I, I, I think he's good. I don't think it's the movie's fault that I'm so frustrated with him. It's the marketing's fault. Olivia asks, is the running gag of Drax calling Mantis ugly the worst gag in the entire MCU? Uh, it's up there. I mm, I think it's in calling Gamora a whore does beat it out, but they're both, like, bad in the same kind of bad. Mm, it might be the worst one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly in the running, if nothing else. Oh, yeah, wait, hold on. What about, uh, <laughs> the part in Age of Ultron? Uh huh. Where where they get attacked at the party? Yeah. And and Bruce Bruce like trips and lands his face right in Black Widow's boobs. You know what? No, that's not as bad because there's a part of me that can't help but laugh at whatever fucking anime nerd managed to storyboard that shot and get it into a Marvel movie. It's bad. I'm not saying it's not, but there's some like joy to be derived from it, even though it's a bad joke. That shouldn't be in the film. Evan asks, do you think it adequately handles its themes of abuse? I would say mostly. I would say at least adequately. Yeah, like, there's there's some room for improvement, but I think it it's... It, it's the core of it's right. We read that big, long email. Queenly Rue asks, how much money exchange hands for the Pac-Man joke, y'all reckon? Oh, hmm. I mean, probably some, maybe? Maybe some. Probably some. Probably some. I don't know. I don't know enough about how, like, product placement works. Yeah, I don't know either. Well, that's all our questions, Luke. Where all can right. people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SSJ Speed Racer. Uh, you can find a bunch of other shows I do on AudioEntropy.com alongside this one, such as Let's Place, which I do with you and my girlfriend Chelsea, uh, where we rank every video game ever. It's been a busy January for us. We did uh, uh, an episode where we placed 10 of the best games of 2018. And then we did a four-hour-long episode with 14, 13 guests. Uh, it was just a big mess. And then, uh, yeah, probably the live show that we did will also be out by this point. It'll definitely happen by this point. Who knows if it's already out or not. But yeah, go check all that out. It's a good time. You can find me at Arcane Crystal, patreon.com slash Arcane Crystal, on the Book of Adora podcast at audioentropy.com, where we talk about Zelda lore. And there's lots of other great podcasts on AudioEntropy.com. What's your favorite one, Luke? Oh, boy, oh, boy. Uh, well, of course, it's the Book of Medora, Crystal. I mean, come on. No, uh, D-Comedy's pretty dang good. D-Comedy is good. Yeah. All Do you the remember Watchtower, the joke I good. used for the first Guardians of the Galaxy episode? I don't. Refresh my memory. I don't. I don't remember. That's why I'm asking. Was oh. it a Samsung joke? 
I you're asking the wrong person, Crystal. Okay, I have. To, I'm gonna have to open this episode so I don't repeat myself. <laughs> do, you, do you have a Guardians joke? Uh, give me give me one second. Maybe I can generate one. Um, do you, do you think when that brain was floating in space, it was just like co- cogito ego sum? <laughs> Not a what? funny one. Not a good one. Just some bad Latin. What? I got, I got nothing. What do you got? I did the Samsung joke last time. I have to find a new one. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm Googling Guardians of the Galaxy jokes, but that's just going to give us jokes from Guardians of the Galaxy. What are you talking about? What? What am I talking about? What are you talking about? I'm saying that if I Google for Guardians of the Galaxy jokes, it will get me jokes from the film Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, I thought you said something else. Okay. We're recording this on Discord because Skype is acting weird. Turns out Discord still sucks. (laughs) Discord's awesome. Now I'm just getting a bunch of news about James Gunn getting fired for being kind of shitty. I don't know if there's another Guardians of the Galaxy joke out there, Crystal. Maybe maybe you'll have to get out your own quill and write one yourself. Huh? Huh? Oh, okay. That, that's, that's, let's workshop this. Uh, uh, okay. Will. Yeah. Peter, Peter Quill. Oh, 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 I've got it, Crystal. Okay, it laid on me. What do you call it when someone dips their penis in an inkwell and uses it to write a message? What do you call that, Luke? You call it a Peter Quill. Well, see you next time, everybody. (laughs) Getting down and dirty with a Procyon loader. Got no people skills, but he's good with motors. That weird thing by his side, an infantilized sequoia. The two of them walk by, people say, oh boy. They ask me why I'm bringing a baby into battle. That's really irresponsible and getting them rattled. I said, give me a break. Get off of my back, damn it. I didn't learn parenting. My daddy was a planet. Of hardship. Just remember.